Hey everyone, it's good to be with you all today. My name is Feng. I'm one of the pastors here at HDBB. Happy Palm Sunday to all of you. If you're wondering what Palm Sunday is, Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem. It is the final week before He died on the cross and then three days later rose from the dead. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week. It is on Palm Sunday that Jesus makes an entrance into Jerusalem, the entrance labelled as the triumphal entry by writers of the Bible and still remembered by many when celebrating Holy Week. But what is so significant about this entrance and how does this affect us? Let us read today's passage and explore together. Reading from Matthew 21, verse 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to daughter Zion, See, your kingdom comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for Palm Sunday and we thank you that you entered into Jerusalem on that day. We thank you for your word that you are speaking to us about this entrance, O oh Lord God. Help us see that this entrance is significant to us because it is the entrance for us to go to God. We give thanks to you once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What does a triumphant entry look like to you? Is it like this? Well, I hope this season is going to be Arsenal or this or maybe like this. Now, when I was in university in the US, I participated in a pageant competition. Let me clarify, it is a cultural pageant, not a swimsuit pageant. During this pageant, we presented our country's cultures. We showcased our cultural talent and finally answered some questions. The person who scores highest in all of these categories wins. The winners, a guy and a woman, will then be crowned university royalties and be the face of international community for the academic year ahead. And the best part, receive some scholarship money because I was a pretty poor student, so I was really, really motivated by the scholarship money. But I was also secretly motivated by this one other thing. And that is, during homecoming, the winners get to sit on top of a convertible riding around town with other students waving their country's 
flag. Something like this. Yes, my later dream was fulfilled and that was a mini triumphal entry for me. You see, usually triumphal entries have something in common. They usually enter in with flashy vehicles, such as a convertible or a nice fancy truck. Back then, when the Roman soldiers came back after winning a war, they performed something called the Roman Triumph or Triumphus. It was held to publicly celebrate and to sanctify the success of military commander who had led Roman forces to victory. On the day of his triumph, the general would wear a crown and dress up in regalia that would identify him as near divine or near kingly. The general then parades in a four-horse chariot through the streets of Rome with army, captives and the spoils of war to show who's the boss. Against the backdrop of Rome, the empire that ruled over Jerusalem in Jesus' time, you may realize a stark difference. The Roman general would dress up and ride on a four-horse chariot to be identified as near divine or near kingly. However, Jesus, the divine king, would ride on one of the lowliest animals, a donkey, to enter into Jerusalem. The donkey didn't even belong to Jesus. He had to borrow it from someone. I really like this, this depiction of a triumphal entry by Anthony Van Dyke. In this picture, we can see that Jesus' body almost entirely enveloped the donkey showing how ridiculous it would be to have called Jesus' entrance a triumphal one. So, is Jesus' entrance really a triumphal one? And how is this entrance, this unusual entrance, significant for us today? Well, one significance is that through this entrance, Jesus demonstrated that He is the humble God. As was highlighted in the passage we just read earlier, Jesus did not enter into Jerusalem with an entourage or with trumpets, but Jesus humbly entered into town with a donkey. This was actually to fulfill a prophecy about Jesus being the Messiah, the one who could save the people of Israel. Did you know that Jesus actually fulfilled more than 300 Old Testament prophecies? And this is just one of them. The text from Zechariah 9 verse 9 says this, See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Today, you can know the Jesus who comes to us as the humble God and King. Maybe you have had a tough time with your superior. Maybe you have had harsh figures of authorities in your life. Maybe you feel cynical about the political leaders around the world today. Jesus is the humble king whom you can know, whose power and majesty is so great, no man-made entrance could ever be adequate. And yet, he chooses this entrance because he doesn't come to perfect people, but to a world who desperately 
needs Him. In Jesus' eternal kingdom, whoever exalts themselves will be humble and whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. It's been said that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And Jesus is the perfect role model of humility. In fact, right before His entrance into Jerusalem, Jesus was teaching this lesson to the Thunder Brothers. Well, not Thor and Loki, but James and John. Jesus called them the sons of thunder. In Matthew 20, their mother has requested Jesus to allow her two boys to sit on the right hand and the left hand side of Jesus, assuming that Jesus will be the next champion, the warrior, the king of Israel who will overturn the Roman oppression. However, Jesus answered in verse 22, You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Referring to the cross and the suffering on the cross. He added that it is not for him to grant who sits on his left and right side. The other disciples, the other 10 disciples, after hearing what um, James and John's mother requested, they were indignant towards the brothers. But Jesus called them together and he said this in verse 25, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, it is often upside down. The highest glory in which Jesus received was not through overthrowing powers or oppressing the oppressors, but in humility serving the least, the last, and the lost. We read throughout Jesus' ministry, He was busy serving others and to give His life away as a ransom for many. Going back to how Roman generals perform their triumphal entrance, there's a common practice as they make their way into the city, and that is something called the Origa's Whisper. Origa was the title given to a slave charged with accompanying Roman generals as they make the triumph, as they enter into the city. Appointed by this senate, each Origa was charged with a relatively simple task whisper into the ears of the general during the procession. Momento homo, which means remember you are only a man. The rationale behind this act was simple as it was powerful. The origa's whisper delivered by a slave was a reminder to the general, typically flushed from victory, about the importance of humility. Yes, we acknowledge your achievements. Hence, we have granted you triumph, the Senate was saying. But we also want to remind you of your place within the empire. However, with Jesus, he didn't need a slave to remind him of his place in the kingdom of God. But he became a servant to many, demonstrating his humility. Jesus is secure in who he is. And in fact, he is the ultimate manifestation of humility in the form of 
a human. In Philippians 2, Paul describes Jesus' humility as such. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' humble yet triumphal entrance points to the truth that He indeed is God, the humble God. Secondly, Jesus' triumphal entry is a sign that He is a victorious King. We read in the passage in verses 8 to 9, it says, a very, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Why did the crowd do that? From Jesus' miraculous acts, the crowd deduced that Jesus could be the king whom they read about in the Old Testament prophets. Up until this point, Jesus, he has cast out demons. He has restored sights to the blind. He has caused the lame to walk. He even raised Lazarus from the dead. The crowd knew all that Jesus had done and believed that Jesus could save them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. There is a significance in the crowd spreading their cloaks on the road. In another record in the Bible, when Jehu was anointed king of Israel in 2 Kings 9 verse 13, the crowd also spread their cloaks. Scripture says they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. As written here, spreading the cloak for a person to walk upon is an act of paying homage and acknowledging that the person is king. Here is what the people were doing. Some cut palm branches and spread them on the ground. In other parts of the gospel, it says they wave these palm branches to signify victory and triumph. On top of that, they shouted in verse 9, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Why? What does Hosanna mean? In Hebrew, Hosanna literally means save us now. So they were, they were essentially shouting to Jesus to save them now. And they acknowledge that Jesus has the power to save. Maybe today, you find yourself at the end of your rope. I'd love to encourage you that you can call out to Jesus. You can say to Him, Hosanna, Hosanna, save me, save me now. 
Maybe you feel like an issue in your life is beyond saving. Maybe you feel like you are drowning in debt, threatened by an illness, or trapped in an unsolvable circumstance. A sense of desperation in your cry of Hosanna. It is a cry that says, I can't save myself, so save me. Jesus is the victorious King. You can cry out to Him, Hosanna, and He hears you. And not only does He hear you, but He saves you. Jesus also offers you a salvation which is eternal, a place in His eternal kingdom, together with Him, the victorious King. But why did the same people who shouted, Hosanna, after three days, they shouted, Crucify Him. Perhaps the salvation in which the crowd expected was not the salvation that Jesus was about to offer to the Israelites. The crowd probably expected Jesus to raise an army, cause a revolt, and overthrow their oppressors from power. And given the context that it was understandable, that that's what they wanted from Jesus. The Jews at that time, they were constantly persecuted and oppressed by the, the Roman government. But what did Jesus do instead? Jesus allowed the Roman government to kill him in the most shameful and brutal execution, to be crucified on the cross. Jesus is still the victorious king. But how? This is because Jesus' kingship is heavenly and peaceful, not earthly and seditious. It features miracles of healing, not acts of rebellion, and issues in joyful praise to God and in spiritual renewal. Though Jesus didn't seem to have won the Israelites' battle against the Roman government, it was never his intention anyways. But Jesus' triumphal entry was Him being on the way to win the ultimate battle. When Jesus died on the cross and He rose on the third day, He had won. He had won the cosmic battle against darkness, evil and principalities and to restore our relationship with God. Jesus does not fight. He heals and restores. This is his victory, and He is the victorious King. Finally, Jesus' triumphal entry shows that He is the way maker. You see, Jesus prior to entering Jerusalem had already predicted His death three times. He knew He was going to be crucified in Jerusalem. Jesus says in Scripture, we are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn Him to death and will hand Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flocked and crucified. On the third day, He will be raised to life. Why did Jesus still insist on going to Jerusalem during Passover, even though he knew that he was going to be crucified there in that same week? The answer is very simple. The answer is you and I. 
Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus had to make a way. In fact, He became the way for us to go to the Father. And it is on this particular Passover, Jesus had to be the entrance for us to enter into God's presence. For thousands of years, the Jews had celebrated the Passover. The Passover is to commemorate how God made a way for the Israelites to be delivered from the oppression of Pharaoh and the Egyptian during the time in Exodus. The highlight of the Passover is the sacrifice of the Paschal Lamb. This ritual is the reenactment of the most momentous event in Jewish history. God made a way for the Israelites and spared them from destruction by the blood of the Lamb marked on their doorposts. Drawing parallel from the story of the Passover, the prophetic scriptures required that the Lamb of God, Jesus, be crucified on Passover so His blood can spare us from destruction. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God didn't just make a way this time, but He became the way. The way to escape eternal death and the way to eternal life. He took our place of death and punishment and exchanged it for life and blessing. When I was one year old, my dad brought me to a place called Esplanade in Penang and it was beside the beach. Suddenly, a storm hit out of nowhere. The rain started pouring and the waves were hitting hard. My dad worried for my safety and not wanting me to fall sick. He quickly picked me up and covered me with his t-shirt and ran. But as he did, he slipped because of the slippery ground and broke his ankle. During that time, my dad was a ninth-time marathon finisher, going for his 10th before retiring from the sport. But because he was worried that his son would fall sick or get hit by the waves, he risked falling. He picked me up and ran. And eventually, he took my place of being ill and injured. He never got to finish his 10th marathon in his lifetime. I remember asking him, Why did you do that, Pa? He told me eight words. It was worth it because I love you. This story remind, reminded me of Jesus' sacrifice for all of us, like my dad taking my place of potential injury and sickness. Jesus took our place of sin and condemnation and became the way to God so we can live eternally. On Palm Sunday, Jesus wasn't just making an entrance as king. He was giving us entry into his kingdom. He wasn't just on his way, but he was making a way for us. He is the gate, the access, the entrance, and the king who comes in the unlikeliest of ways, comes for us and unlikely people who so often lose our way to bring us home.
I wonder if you're feeling desperate today, crying out, Hosanna, save me now. Or you're feeling really lost in life. Jesus is the humble God who gave His life, the victorious King who saves, and the way maker who is the way. I believe He wants to save you today. He wants to lead you home. He wants to give you life. If this is your first time hearing who Jesus is and you want Him to become the way for you, you can pray this simple prayer together with me. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way and for being the way. I'm sorry for not acknowledging you and I'm sorry for the things that I've done. Please come into my life and be the entrance for me to God. In Jesus' name, Amen. And if today you just want to surrender your life again to Jesus, the humble God who gave His life for you, I would like to encourage you to put your hands like this as a sign of surrender of ourselves and as a sign of receiving Him. We pray, come Holy Spirit, come and teach us to yield to Christ who loves us, who gave His life for us, who became the entrance and the way so we can have access to God and have eternal life. Fill us today, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Dear Jesus, we thank you for all that you have done on Palm Sunday. We thank you that you chose to become the way. You chose to be a humble God who entered into this world to die on behalf of us, of our sins, so that we can have eternal life and access to God the Father. We give thanks to you. We ask that you remind us again as we enter into Holy Week of what you have done and that may our hearts be grateful. Lord, we ask you to come and fill us again. Remind us of your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.